Hey, this is Triple H 100.1 FM and a very good afternoon to you and welcome to Rotary Matters. My name is Ian Stewart and it's really good to be with you again. But what an extraordinary day today. We, of course, pay our respects to Queen Elizabeth II and particularly offer Australian and our overseas listeners our sincere condolences. Now, the idea of this programme, Rotary Matters, is to put the spotlight onto some of the many worthy causes, the projects and the people who make up Rotary. <clears throat> and we have a very special episode for you today. Coming up in Sydney in a few days' time is a popular community cycling event known as the Bobbin Head Cycle Classic, or Bobbo for short. It's been going now for 10 years. It's owned and managed by four local Rotary clubs and is a significant fundraiser for Lifeline and selected charities. The route takes you through some areas of outstanding natural beauty, including bushland, watersides and national park, including a bobbin head itself. <coughs> now this year, for the first time, the organisers are proud to have appointed an ambassador, someone with impeccable cycling credentials, a skilled communicator and a man who dedicates his endurance cycling to promote better understanding of mental health issues. His name is Rupert Guinness, and you're going to meet him in a moment as he explains how he got into cycling, the demons that he has had to overcome, and the gruelling, absolutely gut-wrenching rides that he has done all over Australia and across the world. It's a fascinating story. He's a remarkable man, as we're going to find out now. And I had the pleasure of speaking yesterday by Zoom with uh, the Bobo Ambassador, Rupert Guinness. Well, good afternoon, everybody. Today on Rotary Matters, we're very privileged to, to be meeting Rupert Guinness. Rupert is the Ambassador for the Bobo, coming up at the end of next week, the Bobbin Head Cycle Classic. Rupert is a very experienced cyclist, an endurance athlete, a journalist and a writer, and it's wonderful uh, that he can join us to share a conversation with us this afternoon. Rupert, give us an idea to begin with what age did you start riding a bike and where was that? <laughs> well, funnily enough, um, it was I was three years old um, <laughs> uh, and I've still got pictures in one of my books I've written of, uh, of me of my old uh, tricycle in London where I was actually born. Right. And um, I'm on a tricycle stuck in the mud crying. So <laughs> some would suggest uh, I haven't really progressed since, <laughs> but <laughs> that was my very first experience. <laughs> okay. So what was it then that appealed to young Rupert Guinness about... Um, about cycling? Well, I think I really sort of became entered more uh, with the sport uh, probably uh, in my early 20s. So back in the early 1980s, uh, it's kind of twofold. Firstly, you know, when I first heard about Phil Anderson getting this thing called the yellow jersey of the Tour de France in 1981 when he was the first Australian or non-European to do so, right. that story alone, you know, I became enchanted with the I guess with the um, chapter of uh, professional racing in Europe, but I also just had a, a love of the sport um, from an endurance point of view. I used to be a lightweight rower, and um, uh, a good way of keeping our trying to keep our weight down was to do cycling. And I also loved the idea of cycling. You know, you could eat while you do it, whereas lightweight rowing, we always had to think about not eating to make right. weight. So um, it was. I guess it was a sport that I was. Uh, naturally drawn to. Of course, when I was attacker in my teams, you know, I would, I would, you know, I used to have to, you know, uh, progressed from having my tricycle as a three-year-old to eventually having the dragster and then my first road bike as a 10 or 12-year-old. Um, but it was really in my early 20s that, that my real heart and passion for cycle racing and cycle touring um, developed uh, both personally and, and professionally. 
Okay, but as well as being a very enthusiastic cyclist, Rupert Guinness, you're also a writer and a commentator. When did that start for you? Well, my, I was thinking about this just today, actually, because uh, I was thinking about my, the very first cycling story that I wrote, and it was in 1983 uh, when I was a cadet journalist on the Australian newspaper, and it was uh, a story about Julie Spate, New South Wales sprinter, who was uh, trying to get into the Olympics. And I've still got that, that, that cutting somewhere in my files, so that's nice to have that. Um, and then, uh, and then from there it progressed. Um, in '86 or '85, I used to do some stories for the old Australasian Cycling and Triathlon News. Um, you know, I, I very quickly uh, became in love with with road racing. Um, obviously, off the back of Phil Anderson's success in Europe. And then, um, in my big break was really at the beginning of 1987 when uh, there was a magazine. Uh, called Winning Bicycle Racing Illustrated, which was published in in Brussels in Belgium, uh, but they had a UK and a US edition, and uh, um, I managed to get a uh, an opportunity to uh, to work there, edit the UK edition based in Brussels, and what was going to be a one year working holiday, you know, to see some big races, cover some big races, tick some boxes, and then come back to Australia. Uh, ended up becoming a, a nine year adventure, living in Belgium and then later in France for five years. So. Uh, it was it was quite a turnaround in my life that that I didn't expect, but I guess that's what great adventures are, are about—the unexpected and, and how you uh, pursue those opportunities. So that's really how it how it started. My first Tour de France and first classics that I covered was in 1987, and uh, the Irishman Stephen Roach won in 1987. And uh, with winning, we had the fortune of being able to uh, uh, write a daily diary on his tour that year. He had already won the Giro d'Italia, and uh, and that deal, I remember before the tour, was just made off off a handshake and a promise to do the diary. There was no middle middle agent there. There's no mm-hmm. money spoken of, no contracts. It's just traditional old uh, handshakes and a promise. And um, quite often we'll see, you know, me handwriting the notes for the diary, sitting both of us sitting in a gutter in France. You know, we didn't have all the fancy buses <laughs> and the, the big show that you see now. So that's how it all all really began. It was quite a quite a, a whirlwind sort of start, but thoroughly uh, enjoyable. And did you ever actually ride the Tour de France or parts of it um, before or after the actual event? No, there was only one year where I did take a bike on the Tour de France with me and um, um, with a with a with a mate, and we we rode on the t- on the team time trial course. And I remember we were actually running it a bit late, and, and we only just managed to get to the end of the course because it was all barricaded to the end of the course despite police blowing whistles and officials yelling at us. We got <laughs> to the end to get off the route just just before uh, the first riders at the other end were starting. So uh, I remember then swearing, I'm not going to bring a bike on the tour again because it, it is the tour got busier and busier as cycling became more popular in Australia and, and fortunately my uh, demands for work uh, increased. So that was good for my wallet. But um, I realised that the tour is, is not an event as a journalist to, to come to and expect to be able to sort of have mornings and afternoons cycling in the uh, free spirit of the, uh, the French summer. That's, <laughs> that's for later. So I never, never did that uh, during those years, unfortunately. Okay, but Tour de France is tough. But Rupert, we also know, know you as what is known as an ultra-endurance cyclist, someone who's tackled some of the hardest rides in the world. What uh, drew you towards wanting to really push yourself to the limits demanded by these very, very hard rides? It's, it's, it's a good question, Ian. It's, it's something which uh, 
uh, I guess it's come in, in the latter part of my life. Not that I've still got like to think I've just got a good chunk ahead of me, but um, it was primarily after I took my voluntary redundancy at the Sydney Morning Herald in 2016, and and I was working on a I was working on a book called Power of the Pedal: The Story of Australian Cycling, which was published by the National Library of Australia. And a chapter uh, it was kind of a twofold answer to this, but the first answer is that the second chapter of that book was about uh, this genre of writer. That, that was known they were known as the overlanders and and uh, there was these intrepid souls who would ride off to the then unknown interior of australia whether it's from perth to adelaide or perth to sydney or you know and it, all they did was able to follow camel pad tracks across central australia and the rising and setting sun and uh, they'd throw a uh, you know some dried meat across their top bar and take their shotgun and whatever water they could and survive this ordeal that uh that uh, was quite amazing, and, and I think like a lot of today's road routes are very much attributable to their pioneering uh, spirit. But um, so when I finished that, handed that manuscript in, I remember thinking about that chapter, thinking, "God, these these crazy, <laughs> crazy souls who did this stuff uh, that that would make a whole book in itself." And then as soon as I had hand the manuscript in, um, I saw this advertisement for the inaugural. Uh, Indian Pacific wheel race uh, from Fremantle to Sydney, which went across the Nullarbor, five and a half thousand kilometres to Sydney, because it would go down through uh, Adelaide and uh, uh, Adelaide, and then through Geelong and uh, Melbourne and up through the Alps, Victorian Alps, and then Kosciuszko National Park to Sydney. This was in 2017, uh, Rupert. Yes, yes, the inaugural yep. race was in 2017. So I saw the ad at the end of 2016. Right. And um, and and the ad said, "Is there the Overlander in you?" And I thought, well, this could be a great platform to tell the story of the overlanders, you know, to sort of try and revisit in some fashion um, what, you know, their story through my experience doing this overlander experience. And so that's what got me into it to begin with. And uh, so I had a book contract uh, to do it before we started. And, uh, you, know, I'm, I'm, you know, sadly that inaugural race, uh, also known as the Indy Pack, uh, ended tragically with the death of Mike uh, Paul, who was then second and riding just south of Canberra at the time when he, when a, a car struck him. And and I stopped in Adelaide. I didn't continue on. The race was cancelled. And then I did it again in 2018 and finished it and finished the book that I was to write, which was called Overlander. And it was actually the writing of that book. This comes to the second part, answer to the question, because uh, I started thinking the same thing. Why do I like this sort of genre of cycling after all these years. And, and I've, in those experiences I had on, on the Indie Pack, obviously a lot of time to do soul searching and thinking about uh, your life, where it's going, what's happened. Uh, it's like peeling this giant onion of sort. And, uh, and, um, and I sort of came to realise that through my life, you know, from my lightweight rowing days when I was, I mentioned about struggling to make weight. And through those days as a kid, I used to be quite a roly-poly sort of kid. So I, you know, I always always had uh, this image problem of me being a roly-poly fat kid, you know, and uh, and then the weight chase or the chase to lose weight as a rower, um, that was always about body. Those People would often pinch you and then you'd, I guess, subconsciously develop uh, self-esteem issues through body image or uh, issues. And that led to me getting uh, bulimia, and uh, bulimia is still something that I still struggle with uh, today, um, less so today than what it used to be, but it's still very much there that I have to, there's certain trigger things I have 
um, to, to control it. So it's still an issue that, that lingers on, but fortunately not as often. And so that made me think of, you know, what is it and why and self-esteem issues and how at school I was never good at the supposed cool sports like cricket, tennis, basketball, uh, even in rugby. Where I, the only person who ever played was tight head prop, and no one ever passed the ball to the tight head prop. <laughs> so I was never good with ball sports. Well, where so I, I think I steered myself towards endurance sports. Right. Hence, I got into rowing, and I guess it was this kind of the one thing I can try and do is uh, endure and go longer and do. I got some esteem out of doing the sports that was were deemed as hard and uh, required endurance and mind as much as body, etc. Well, you need it. all. That's all unfolded in me thinking about why did I like doing indie pack and stuff. So that's those mental health issues, which was obviously still lingering. Um, that's why I felt like, wow, I've got, I love this, what I'm doing. Uh, my background as a journalist, you know, I've written a book and then I was able to tell some stories about it. And, and I think um, I was fortunate somehow to create a sort of a platform or I felt in some ways also a responsibility to be able to put, to help others maybe by using what I'm doing as a platform to, to heighten awareness for mental health issues and use my experience as an example uh, to try and, uh, you know, one, encourage people to talk about their issues if they feel comfortable or don't be shy about talking to them. Don't be ashamed about talking. That's probably the main thing. And uh, by using my experiences to try and help people feel more comfortable if they can to talk about their issues to somebody close or someone not so close, whoever. So that's kind of a long answer, two-parted answer to your question, but that's how it happened and why I'm doing what I'm doing now. This is Ian Stewart, you're on Triple H, 100.1 FM, and this program is called Rotary Matters, and today we're in conversation with Rupert Guinness. Rupert is the ambassador for the Bobbin Head Cycle Classic, also known as the Bobbo. Rupert himself is an ultra-endurance cyclist, he's ridden all over the world, and signed copies of his book, The Overlander, which traces his journey from Fremantle to Sydney, uh, will be given away to some of the Bobbo's top fundraising participants. Uh, on the 18th of September. We're now going to learn about the Indian Pacific Wheel Race, or the Indy Pack as it's sometimes known, which didn't go quite the way uh, that was planned. This is Rupert Guinness and I spoke to him uh, by Zoom yesterday. Rupert, just take us back one moment to the start of the the, um, Indy Pacific uh, Wheel Race. You began in Fremantle. You're on your own. You've got 5,500 Ks to travel. It's just you and your bike. And maybe you'll bump into some other cyclists along the way. What, what sort of average daily distances were you doing? And, and indeed, how did you find anything to eat um, and, to, and so much to sleep? <laughs> well, it was, it was, fortunately, it was a lot easier than, say, the overlanders of the 1890s. Right. Um, at least we had a bitumen road going across the Nullarbor and there were roadhouses. But you're right, Ian, it was, you know, there was a lot of un- unknowns. I mean, I was really going into, you know, well, I was about to say deep water, but we're going overland. But, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. akin to deep water in an experience like this. And, you know, it was really a matter of, you know, I look back on it, and even when I read the book, because it was very much just an anecdotal day-by-day experience thing, and I've seen all the, but I, I wouldn't say mistakes, but how a lot of things I should have done or could have done differently to make my life a lot easier. Uh, and it was just trial by error. So, with you know, I, at first I, had, I, I remember thinking, I'm going to try and do... Um, uh, 300 kilometers a day you know at a certain speed and that will still give me some sleep and just do that every day and uh, I remember the first day I did 326 kilometers and I sort of collapsed on my bed which was in a motel I could barely move 
then I got the shakes because I was oh. kind of cold and hungry at the same time. And and then I remember thinking, what? Where did I even come up with this plan about three hundred <laughs> a day? Here I am, busted after one day, yeah. and and I just realized I've never ridden three hundred kilometers a day before anyway. So where this plan came from, I don't know. So I ended up realizing that the first days were going to be you know really really hard, and then really really you know low in morale, and then then I realized after a while to go in cycles, but. Yeah, when you're going across the Nullarbor, that's that's the first time especially you think, gee, it's 200 kilometres or 180 kilometres to the next roadhouse where you can get food and water or, or any supplies. That can be daunting. Um, and certainly it's something which uh, you can be as well prepared as you can be for the first time, but there's nothing like doing it the first time and the knowledge you have for the second time becomes a lot more manageable. So take, yeah, take- it, is, it, it is daunting. Tailwinds or headwinds? Well, here I was thinking, you know, getting ready for a uh, for a desert run, and firstly, I got stuck in a wind pattern where it was like rain for three or four days, really heavy rain. So all that sand by the Nullarbor, which is sort of a heavily bedded sand, it became like thick mud. So oh, no. thick orange mud that just gets stuck in your brakes and your wheels, and, and it was terrible. But uh, yeah, and I had a headwind the whole way. So um, you know, across the Nullarbor, so. It was it was totally a different experience than I expected, but it was it was really hard. But and there were a couple of moments there where I did think, "Gosh, I'm really stuck out here in the wilderness of nowhere that I that I have no experience in." But even that was there were kind of moments where you can easily let your mind get ahead of itself and um, steer your mind into a sense of you know lacking confidence and uh, desperation, which is which which you don't really need to. If once you if you can recognise it. And just go back to the basics of what do you have? You know, there are cars on the road, mm. you know, more cars than, than people generally talk about. So you're not as stranded as you necessarily have to be or you think you could be. So um, I guess a bit about the old message is staying calm under a, under a sense of or perception of, um, of stress. You can minimise that so much. So, And this all underlays the power of the yeah. mind in this yeah. ultra-distance riding. So. Well, listeners, um, Rupert, as you've heard, was inspired by the cycling done by the Overlanders many, many, many years ago. Uh, he himself has done some extraordinary long-distance rides. Uh, he has written the book, The Overlander, and um, I'm delighted to advise that uh, Rupert has signed some of those for us, and we will be awarding those to some of the top uh, fundraisers at the Bobo at the end of next week. Rupert, this year, a couple of months ago, you were in the US doing uh, the uh, ride across America, and you've just come back from from France doing the Haute Route. America was a bit of a challenge. Yes, it certainly was. Um, yeah, the Race Across America was, was an event that I'd sort of... Uh, qualified for three years ago I'd been preparing for three years and the first I guess I was meant to do it three years ago but then COVID cancelled the race and then the next year couldn't get to because uh, uh, Australia's um, travel bans were still in place so in place of those two years I did a a virtual race across America on a home trainer in a garage uh, two years ago and then with with the you know people organized it and then Last year, I did uh, an alternate ride of my own from Darwin to Adelaide via, including a dog leg around Uluru, which was like 3,780 kilometres or something. And um, and so that was all in practice steering towards the uh, debut in Race Across America or RAM uh, this year in June. And again, that was, uh, yeah, the, the result uh, was, was hugely disappointing. It was a DNF. I didn't, you know... Uh, Finish. Uh, my ram finished on day three, which was far earlier 
than I'd ever anticipated. It was it was a smackdown, a reality smackdown uh, of the biggest nature. Um, the core of the problem was an injury, an ulnar nerve injury in my right hand and uh, arm, which basically left my whole arm. I was I didn't have the capacity to even steer my my bike properly, um, and my whole shoulder would dip. Oh. And then I was trying to use excessive energy to compensate for that to stay upright and i had some hydration problems as well which cost me some time i had to have an iv drip and very quickly you find yourself falling out of the time uh, window there's two time checks along the way of a 4900 kilometer route that you have to make otherwise you get eliminated so um it was almost like uh, everything was unfolding very quickly in the space of 12 hours and um uh, it was a decision which i i was incapable of making at the time so my crew chief he made the decision and um which was which was one of the protocols we had in place you know the crew chief's responsibility is if i can't make a decision or if it's felt the decision you know for my betterment uh, overrides what i want to do the crew chief has the authority to do that so uh that was that was hugely disappointing but from it all um, there was a lot of positives because, you know, one, you know, the, 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 the rate of the percentage of people who do finish a RAM every year is 30, uh, 38%. So it's a 62% probability of not finishing. Um, and that held true for this year's event. So, um, so you're not alone, certainly not alone. And most debutants in RAM, which I was, very rarely does a debutant finish. Uh, my coach, Marco Ballo from Slovenia, who's who's uh, done it like uh, nine times and I think five times he's finished on the podium. You know, his first Rams, he didn't finish. So it's almost like a rite of, maybe I'm trying to sound like I'm justifying it, but it's almost (laughs) like a rite of passage. You have to get the smack down before you get to move on further up the course and do better. And, um, and, and and like it's, it's an event, which is such, so incredibly hard. You can't possibly know how hard it is until you and your support crew, because it's very stressful for them until they experience it for the first time. And, and, from that experience, you learn so much that there's no way you could have learned without experiencing that experience. So, so are, are you riding on your own or riding uh, with, with other cyclists? Or No, you're riding on your own, although you do own. pass other cyclists or they pass you. Yeah. Um, you've got to have a support crew in, in RAM. Um, and, uh, like, we had a support crew of seven people and uh, we had two cars. Some people have motorhomes, um, so you work out your strategy of... Right how and when you're going to have your sleep patterns. Because a lot of that sleep management, people say sleep deprivation, but I prefer to call it sleep management. And um, it's basically about having a lot of power naps along the way. Sleep as less as possible. Keep moving on the bike as much as possible, no matter what speed. And somehow hold your body and your mind and all your car, all your all your parts on your bike together. Right. Uh, and you have to finish within 12 days. You know, mm-hmm. that's the time limit. So that works out at, you know, if you're doing 20 kilometres per hour, the average has to be 400, uh, 400 kilometres a day. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So it's not a, not a lot of leeway, not a lot of give. So that's what happened there. And um, so, I, yeah, I came back, uh, you know, yeah, I, was, I was massively disappointed. There was the moment I stopped, I just got to the uh, – soon after a climb, which was a 55-kilometre climb, and I was just – I was already exhausted, but you've got the, the uh, cumulative uh, stresses of – accumulated exhaustion physically and mentally uh, and then suddenly your race is over and then there's a, like a huge cocktail of uh, disappointment, sadness, shame, guilt, embarrassment, accountability, 
it all just comes flooding in. And um, it certainly reminded me of when, as a journalist, a number of years I've covered the Tour de France, when you see a rider who abandons, you know, and they suddenly burst into tears and there's the cameras around them. And they, that's exactly what happened to me. And I had to do the 70-kilometre drive to the nearest hotel. And um, several moments in that car, you know, you you know, just burst into tears. And, uh, yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a hugely emotional time. Um, but it's the reality of RAM. I've sure. learned that now. I've got my head around. And, and the message out of that is, you know, accept your disappointment. Everyone's, we're all human. You've got to embrace the disappointment. And But uh, there comes a point you have to own your result or your performance and figure, be honest with yourself, what went wrong and why, and move on from that. So uh, that, then just a few weeks ago, you finished uh, in France, the Haute Route, which is like, yes. is it like a sort of, a version of the Tour de France, but less professional. I'm not quite sure. Yes, yes, it's just kind. Of, that's kind of right. And yes, it's a it's a seven day event, so it's not three weeks, but it's seven days where they just throw all the mountains in. <laughs> so you so you you ride over, oh, you race over twenty thousand meters uh, in seven days of elevation. So it's twenty one thousand meters of elevation in those days, eight hundred kilometers, and it's just mountain after mountain after mountain and. Uh, there's a giant peloton of 400 plus riders. Oh wow! <laughs> uh, of of a certain mixed standards. Uh, there's the the top end, which is made up of a lot of um, you know elite amateurs, and then you get the back end, and then you I'm I'm closer to the back end certainly, and um, but still you've got to be well prepared. It's not easy. It's a very hard race. There is a time limit for the general class to stay in the general classification. There's a time limit to stay in. So I I, I managed to stay in the time limit this time. And um, I finished uh, 222nd. Well done. <laughs> and I, I, I swore I wasn't actually going to race it. I swore I was just going to go and ride it because I didn't actually prepare for mountain climbing after RAM. I just sort of was holding a lot of them based on my RAM uh, preparation. But I thought I'd just ride through it. But then I realised just, just getting over the mountains and then suddenly it only takes one person to uh, – it took one person on day two, a Dutchman, who said, oh, you know, Rupert, I'm only two places behind you. Oh. And he gave this look of – like it was a challenge, and I tried to say, ah, whatever. And then there I was the next night looking at the general classification, and then there was another guy from Mauritius who was, there was the three of us racing till the very end, and uh, and it became a race, but we all moved up six spots. Through, right. uh, so it all helped us. So it was, it's a really good, fun, but hard event, terrific views, as you'd imagine, in the Alps, and uh, um, but it was very hard, and the, the terrific views, there were certainly, you had to earn the, the views, but it was well worth it. And you know, I learned a lot of out of that in different ways. You know, it's obviously different than RAM, but there's a lot I learned out of it. And it gave me some sense of closure as well to finish on a on a high, literally, in altitude, mm-hmm. but to, to finish on a high uh, emotionally in a positive way. So, and that's now set me up for my uh, upcoming campaign to do RAM next year again. Right. Well, look, Rupert so. Guinness, we're enormously proud to have you as an ambassador of the Bobo. We congratulate you on everything that you've done so far. It's an extraordinary story without parallel anywhere. I'm absolutely sure of that. A final word from Rupert Guinness uh, for the riders in the Bobo. Look, it's a beautiful area of uh, Sydney, if not Australia, to, to ride a bike anytime. And it's a challenging area to ride a bike. And I'll just say to people to, to, to first up, uh, you know, embrace the, the unique opportunity you have to, to ride in, in such a beautiful area and so close to, to the centre of Sydney. I think with the, uh, you know, for goals that people set, everyone starts an event with a goal and I think it's just to be realistic with your goals. Uh, you may achieve your goals, you may supersede your goals, you may not uh, 
achieve the goals you have, but don't forget your underlying passion for cycling and uh, really how uh, fortunate we all are to still be healthy and to ride a bike in a beautiful area of the world. Uh, bring that back to basics and uh, however your day goes, uh, it'll be great. If it, if it goes longer than what you'd planned, well, guess what? You're having more time in a beautiful area of the world to appreciate things. And you'll meet great people along the way because I think everybody knows events are going to be, uh, uh, well, the Bobo Classic, you know, of, of equal spirit. And um, foremost, stay safe. Put safety before risk. Uh, yes, there are hills that are and with hills come to sense. So stay safe and think of other people as well. Well, listeners, we've been talking with Rupert Guinness, an inspirational cyclist, very generous man, and we do appreciate your time, uh, Rupert. Listeners, if you want to go onto our website, you'll find on the first page a, a photo of Rupert standing with his bike down at Bobbin Head. So. <laughs> I'd urge you to do that. And um, Rupert, we'll look forward to catching up with you later on. Thanks so much. Likewise, Ian, and thank you very much for having me on board as ambassador. It's an absolute honour. Thank you.